Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we have Dr. Michael Holkman, who is the inaugural CEO of SCAN's Homeless Medical Group Initiative, known as Healthcare in Action. The group uses a street medicine model to focus on the care of patients experiencing homelessness in California. Dr. Holkman himself is a board-certified general internist who completed his medical school at Harvard Medical School and completed his residency in internal medicine at the Cambridge Health Alliance. Previously, he was a Robert Woods Johnson Foundation Clinical Scholar Fellow at UCLA and has held numerous leadership positions throughout his clinical career. And so with that, we'd like to welcome Dr. Hochman. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan of The Daily Remedy. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. So before we begin and jump into the program itself, can you tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and what led you to this initiative where now you're focusing on what I want to use the appropriate terminology, people experiencing homelessness. What led you down this trajectory to focus on this patient population? Yeah, so a lot of, I get asked this question a lot because it's not a typical population that uh, doctors want to take care of. And, you know, I really come at it from a pragmatic angle. I've worked in various settings, um, health systems, community health centers, county hospitals, and some private uh, institutions. And it's always bothered me how inefficient our care systems are for patients experiencing homelessness. Uh, it's one of the situations where there's a real mismatch between the services and what patients need. And the net result of it is not only do patients not get the care they need that's tailored to their, their needs, but it's inefficient and challenging for health systems. And, you know, I've worked uh, in in clinics where a patient comes in who's homeless and all the staff want to do their absolute best for that patient. They're all feeling a a genuine desire to help. But what's really going through the back of everybody's mind is, oh man, here goes the next two hours of our day and everybody else is going to run late and it's going to throw the schedule off. So really the, the, the system is poorly matched for patients experiencing homelessness. And this initiative that we're doing is a, is a group within the SCAN group umbrella of companies. Uh, the CEO of the SCAN group, uh, Dr. Sachin Jain, had a vision of creating a medical group tailored to patients experiencing homelessness. So when he started telling me about that, and I should acknowledge that Dr. Jane and I have known each other since we were in medical school together, uh, I became very excited. And uh, it seemed like a great opportunity to take on this challenge that I was facing in the settings where I was providing care. And so that's how it ended up that we were taking it on. Uh, it's an amazing initiative. And it's something that I feel is rep- representative of healthcare at large, this street medicine program. It's a very appropriate name because it really is going into the streets and providing care. There was an article which was published in September of 2021 titled, From the Hospital to the Streets, Bringing Care to the Unsheltered Homeless in Los Angeles, which I will provide a link to for the listening audience, in which you describe how you would perform the services. For the audience, can you go over and discuss just the day-to-day logistics and how you will literally be on the streets taking care of these patients? Right. So I mentioned before that uh, the existing medical system, office, medical offices, doctor's offices, hospitals, nursing facilities are not well suited to patients experiencing homelessness. 
there's been a lot of interest in what's called street medicine, not having any brick and mortar clinic, but rather going out into the streets and encampments, uh, in, in parks, in shelters, wherever patients may be, and providing care directly to them, sometimes with the aid of a medical van where you can bring a patient on for certain specialized services if need be. There's actually a couple decades of providers doing this. Uh, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless is one of the first. Um, here in, in Los Angeles, the USC street medicine team that I had the honor of participating with, and that article comes from that you, you mentioned, has been doing a great job. Venice Family Clinic, there are several others. But all of these other initiatives, at least that I'm aware of, are charitably funded. And what we're trying to do that is different uh, is to create a street medicine model that is self-sustaining. We're a nonprofit. We're not trying to get a margin, but we're trying to be self-sustaining with um, managed care revenue. And that's where the partnership between SCAN and us is a great opportunity to, uh, to really spread this street medicine model that's much better for patients and providers uh, without relying on charitable funding. I think that's a very important point to highlight the concept of self-sustaining, because when we talk about medicine and the efficiencies in healthcare or lack thereof, often you look at programs like this as if it were a charity, as what you alluded to. Now you're transitioning into a model that not just makes sense clinically, but makes sense economically. How does your mind shift then change from being a clinician on the streets to now being a CEO leading a program? Well, here's the thing, you know, I think all of us who are clinicians, we, we went into our clinical training, whether you're a nurse or a peer navigator or a physician, whatever it may be, because you want to take care of patients. We didn't go into it because we want to make money with the system. But I've learned over the last couple of decades of doing this type of work that no margin, no mission, meaning, yeah. you, you know, if you want to do the work you want to do, you got to find a sustainable business model. And, and that's where, again, this, I just want to continuously acknowledge the SCAN partnership having that managed care backbone and that know-how and understanding is what, what I'm really optimistic about uh, here. But the short answer is patients who are homeless um, uh, do cost a lot of money to the system. And a lot of that cost is, is avoidable. So for the typical SCAN member who's homeless, the average cost of care is $64,000 a year. We sort of joke that's the $64,000 uh, question. Right. Um, and about three quarters of that cost is institutional cost, emergency room visits, hospital visits. Many of these, because I've been on the other end of them, taking care of the patients in the hospital, are avoidable. They're for silly reasons that if there was good primary care in the streets, someone who was able to make sure they were getting their medications, um, uh, someone who was able to administer IV fluids or give an antibiotic for a tooth infection be before it became serious, that never would have happened and would have saved the system thousands of dollars. We believe that street medicine can prevent about 20% of these avoidable costs, which is about $13,000 of savings in someone who costs $64,000 a year, which is more than enough to support uh, street medicine. So that simply put, that's our model is to try to take some of the savings from preventing those ER and hospital visits and, and put it upstream for primary care to prevent the complications. Yeah, and that's very reflective of what you see with these managed care programs and indicative of what SCAN is doing as a whole and very innovative in their approach. For the listening audience, can you go over a little bit in detail on the managed care program, specifically the healthcare in action? You talk about preventing avoidable costs. How do you define preventing avoidable costs in this scenario? Sure. And 
you know, it really isn't rocket science. It's doing the simple things, the blocking and tackling, getting it right, that, that makes all the difference. So like I mentioned, I've seen so many patients with like tooth infections that if they had gotten treated early would never have caused a problem, urinary tract infections, um, and also mental health. We have to acknowledge that mental health and substance use are a big part of the reason that um, many people are, are homeless. Um, so we really believe that if we can bring simple mental health interventions, you know, the medications that all of us have access to in traditional doctor's offices, bring them to the streets, medications like Suboxone for substance use. Um, there's also, uh, interestingly, some te technological advancements, long-acting injectable medications. So rather than taking a daily pill for your schizophrenia, you could take an injection once every three months, which is just so much more likely to, to, uh, to promote compliance. And we think if we bring those simple services that all the rest of us have access to in, op in offices to, to a homeless population where they are in the streets, that's going to just in and of itself lead to that 20% reduction in, in care. Yeah, certainly there's something there that I'm really happy you guys are targeting. For those who may be skeptical, for those who may wonder, what is the opportunity cost of diverting resources towards this patient population relative to another? How do you explain to them that this is a base worth investing in outside of the preventable losses? Are there any other externalities to the healthcare system overall that serve this population benefits? Yeah, well, like I said before, I'm a pragmatist. I'm not an yeah. idealist. I've certainly heard the argument, oh, you know, homeless people got where they are because of mistakes they made in their life. In my view, uh, homeless patients, that the mental illness, the substance issues, they're, they're medical problems, chronic illnesses mm -hmm. like blood pressure, diabetes. Um, we would never blame someone for having diabetes or hypertension and you know that leading to downstream costs. So my view of it is it's the pragmatic thing to do and it's the right thing to do is to treat the mental health and substance use. And it's the efficient thing to do. It's gonna, uh, you know, reduce some of those unnecessary hospitalizations that are taking up a bed from the, the rest of us. So it really can be something that's uh, a win around. I think there's also people who are skeptical whether or not we actually can do what we're saying. One of the big questions we get, how are you gonna find patients? How are, they're, they're not gonna comply with you. They're not gonna follow you. And I can say that they're the trendsetters, the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Programs, the USC Street Medicine Team and others have shown that, that it is possible uh, to do it. And in terms of the, where, how do you find patients? Um, simple technologies. Again, you know, we are planning, for example, to give every patient in our program a cell phone, at least to experiment with it. Um, we know that some of these phones are going to be lost or destroyed, but half the time, two thirds of the time, they're not going to be destroyed and the patient is going to have it and they're going to be able to get in touch with us and they are going to voluntarily put on the, the tracking so that we can actually find them out in the field uh, and, and make this uh, possible. Yeah, that technology component is very important. And there's always going to be skeptics until they're proven wrong. We saw that with microfinance in other parts of the world, microfinance in the United States. But in addition to the technology and the technology-enabled solutions, you're also emphasizing experience. So all the care teams have someone with what you call lived experience with homelessness. How does that impact compliance among these patients? Oh, I mean, I think it, it is incredibly important. Uh, you know, our lead peer navigator is someone himself who struggled for several years with substance use and homelessness. And I can, when I'm out in the field and see 
him speak to the patients, he's able to connect in a way that I just can't. I'm also proud to say that our, our uh, first physician assistant that we hired, top-notch clinician, trained at, at USC, um, top of his class, very highly recommended, but he also, um, and I think it's okay to say, uh, struggled himself with, with uh, homelessness when he was in his early, uh, late teens and early 20s. Um, and, and he's able to connect to patients in a way that, uh, that those of us who have never lived on the streets uh, can't. So, so that's sort of one of our themes is people who really understand what it's like to be homeless. And it just makes all the difference. I love that because in a way you're taking perceived liabilities and turning them into assets to treat a patient population very effectively. Another thing that's unique about this program is that you're focusing on patient goals as opposed to health system needs. Can you elaborate a little bit upon that and what the importance of goals are in terms of these patient populations? Yeah, this is a negotiation. So, you know, <laughs> uh, nice. Health plans and, and, and uh, health systems have their set goals, the HEDIS measures, how many mammograms and colonoscopies can you do? And I'm not in any way suggesting that those things aren't important, but they're not the top priorities of many homeless patients. When you're trying to decide where your next meal is gonna come from or where you're gonna put your head down at night, you know, getting your mammogram is a little bit less uh, important. And that doesn't mean we don't come back to the mammogram or the colonoscopy once we get the acute needs stabilized. So our philosophy is very much focus on the highest priority needs. And for this population, housing has got to be one, two, and three on that list. We are not trying to reinvent the housing system. Los Angeles, where we're launching, has a great coordinated entry system, housing services. We're going to try to take advantage of that, to have staff members who know that system inside and out. That's where the peer navigators are incredibly helpful because they've gone through that system themselves uh, and they can help walk through what walk uh, walk their clients through our patients through that that process and, and help them succeed i think that's an amazing attribute to this program and for those who are not aware uh, healthcare in action is providing support contingent relief in terms of housing for these patient populations and i think that's a very interesting point to discuss further do you see that as a form of incentive to help increase compliance or are the patients more focused on housing and maybe less so just traditional care? I certainly think that that's one of the big uh, selling points of our program is that we have integrated social services that we're going to try to help clients, not just with their traditional medical needs, but their social needs, giving them meals, getting them enrolled in, in the housing coordinated entry system. You know, I think in reality, a lot of the barriers are mental health and substance use where the patient doesn't even realize that they have the opportunity to get the housing or, or may not even want to or feel comfortable going that, down that path. So I'm not sure that the patient always sees that as a huge benefit <laughs> up front. Our goal is to say, wherever we're going to meet you where you are. If you don't care about uh, getting housed at the moment, you just want to be on the streets, we'll work with you there. We'll provide the care for you there. We're not going to push the housing issue until you're ready. Because if we push it and you're not ready, it's not going to go well. But as soon as the patient is uh, opens their mind to that possibility, maybe it's after they get on the right mental health medications, we're going to strike while the iron's hot and, and take advantage. I love that approach because you're talking about patient goals as opposed to health system needs. You're turning patient care into what I call a system of intrinsic motivation for patients. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that in this patient population, the whole aspect of intrinsically motivating good healthcare behavior? 
I mean, you, the, the, the word says it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if the patient isn't ready, you know, there's the stages of train, change in, in anything you do, pre-contemplation, contemplation, yeah. action, and, you know, doing those, those stages. Um, you know, unless the patient is willing to do it, we can't make somebody get housed. We can't make somebody stop uh, using substances, they, they need to come to that realization themselves. But if, if they can see a trusted partner who's willing to help them, we help them, our goal is to bump them from the pre-contemplative to the contemplative to down to the action stage uh, of getting the services they need. And, and you know, that's exactly the way you said it is exactly the right way. Oh, I, I love that. Healthcare today is filled with so many buzzwords. One of the big buzzwords you hear is social determinants of health. Does that model apply here or are you essentially breaking the mold and just redefining social aspects of healthcare? Yeah, social determinants is the buzzword, but the simpler way to say it is housing, which is a social yeah. determinant of health, <laughs> is for this population the most important determinant of their health. Exactly. Um, you know, the pills that I can give them are 10% of the game and getting them housed is two thirds of the game. So, uh, you know, our, our belief is that by getting them the healthcare they need, we can open their mind and open the possibilities for getting the more important issue addressed, which is housing. No, I completely agree. The housing issue is a big factor and possibly one that will determine the success in the sustained model. And you mentioned that you're a pragmatist. So obviously, you know that in healthcare, it's not just the health issues. There are political issues as well, particularly among stigmatized populations. Do you envision any political pushback or any issues from the local governments regarding your model of care? Well, we want to keep politics out of it. I, I, I yeah. actually see everybody from the, the, the Republicans, conservative Republicans, yeah. to more progressive Democrats being able to get behind this model. It's, it, it, you know, it, it's something that I think can make the system more efficient while getting people the care they, they need. And you know, I think there is a broad willingness across yeah. political spectrums now to acknowledge that mental health and substance use are medical issues like diabetes and hypertension. Maybe 20 years ago, there was some stigma and blame going around, but I think there's really a shift across the political spectrum on that issue. Yeah, particularly since we've learned about healthcare before, during, and after the pandemic, I think that it's uh, really changed the paradigm and how we look at healthcare. You mentioned that this model can make healthcare as a system more efficient. Do you envision down the road applying the frameworks or the learnings from here to different patient populations, other high-risk populations? Right. Well, we're trying to do the demonstration on perhaps yeah. the most challenging population out there. You know, I, I think that's, again, where groups like SCAN have shown that, that an upstream approach can, can work for frail older populations and other high-risk groups. So I certainly think this business model of preventive care upstream, um, you know, the, the trick is not conceptually convincing people that there's a pathway there, it's operationalizing it. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that if we can show that we can operationalize it on one of the most challenging populations, that for, for other populations, groups will be able to do the same. I agree. I think that there is something to that. And part of the challenge that you alluded to is the implementation process. Homelessness, the more we learn about it, the more complex it becomes. But as you had mentioned, it's the simple things that lead to the return on investment, the return on clinical improvement. How do you reconcile the complexities of an issue with the simplicity needed to actually execute effectively? 
Well, the, the wonderful thing about clinical care, when you're one-on-one with a patient, yeah. all of those complexities matter less. It's, yeah. it's just the blocking and the yeah. tackling, the simple things. What's your goal today? So that's the part that I love about the, the clinical side of things. I think that the complex side are on the payment side. How do you get the right uh, capitation rates, uh, the, the right shared savings arrangements to make the business model work? And that's where we're, we're really blessed to have a partnership with with uh, Scan Health Plan to have chief operating uh, chief operating officers from Scan, financial officers who have done very complex and nuanced uh, uh, business arrangements that that we can take advantage of and, and utilize so that we don't have to take on both challenges at once uh, the the, the, uh, the the business model and the clinical model. I think this is something that a lot of people have heard about, capitation rates, but very few people actually understand it. And so before we talk a little bit about the payer structure, can you let the audience know what capitation rates are and what is actually a preventative upstream model of care? Right. Capitation is very simply prospective payment, getting a monthly fee for taking a patient rather than for billing for each service uh, individually. It's much simpler to that point about simplicity. So it's a much better way for a population like this to get to get reimbursed. And Dr. Jane had mentioned in one of the promotional pieces that you're running towards adverse selection. Inherent in that statement is that you're dealing with a high-risk population. Therefore, the capitation rate should be adjusted accordingly. How are you guys developing the cost and defining the cost per patient? Well, like I mentioned before, we found out that the average scan homeless patient costs about $64,000 a year. So one way to do this would be to tell Medicare, Medicaid, see if they would just give us $64,000 then we would take the full risk of the population. Um, that's a little bit of a harder sell to make um, because that's a big increase from, from the rates that we get. So we're going at it from another angle. We're saying which groups currently have the risk and that's typically the health plans or in some cases the health systems that have the risk delegated to them. And we're saying you're losing 20, 30,000, $40,000 a year on each of these patients. If we can make you only lose um, $15,000 a year, can we share in the savings that you get? Uh, and and that's, so that's sort of the, the business model, shared savings. Yeah, and I think that it's a model that has proven quite effective across the country in chronic care patients, patients who may be deemed less high risk, and it's just starting to now emerge into higher risk populations. Your focus will be on the PEH population that are insured. Do you then imagine amortizing effectively eating the cost for those who are not insured or do you have some sort of triaging model set in place? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, we do want to be sustainable without charitable funding. So um, we're going to be a little bit limited in pro bono work because, you know, the model is based on getting yeah. a rate for everybody. But there's always somebody at risk. So in Los Angeles County, the County of Los Angeles takes on the cost of, of yeah. uninsured patients. Maybe there's a contract we could do with the county if we can prove ourselves in the future. In, in some geographies, it's the state that has the, the risks, the county hospitals that have the risks for the uninsured homeless members. So we might be able to work out arrangements with those entities. I think that's a great point to mention because the concept of homelessness is now deemed more and more a public health issue. So you see counties and states offering resources. Do you see this model as it proves itself sustainable over time, knock on wood, will need county and state-based resources, either safe injection sites 
or either providing condoms or education on STI, so on and so forth. Do you need that as an essential service to be sustainable long-term? It's essential for a couple reasons. Um, yeah. Housing, uh, the biggest one is that housing is not yeah. something that's reimbursed in the medical system. So we need local yeah. county agencies to be able to provide housing for our patients. Um, uh, because if we can't get that addressed, we're, we're never going to get the, the medical health addressed. And, and the county agencies need to be willing to work with us as the medical partner so we can kind of do uh, a warm handoff. Also, from a public health perspective, um, we've learned from this pandemic that it's yeah. so important to have a strong public health system. Um, you know, so we need to be able to work hand in hand for keeping our populations healthy with, with these government entities. Yeah, and what's more difficult in your situation is that government entities are now multifactorial. It's not just a payer. It's not just one regulatory body. It's really various levels of governments at different municipal levels. Where do you see the greatest pushback or the least amount of encouragement or support as you proceeded with this program? Well, the first thing I'll say is we've really appreciated the positive response we have gotten um, from the community. Um, there is competition, believe it or not, even in homeless health care. And, and I actually think that that's a good thing to have some, yeah. some friendly competition. So there's other community health centers out there. There's the county delivery system that are creating their own street medicine programs. Um, and, you know, I think everyone sort of believes that their model is the best. I think in this case, it's a great thing if we're all yeah. a little bit comp competing against each other. Sadly, there's more than enough business to go around in the homeless space uh, in Southern California. So I think at the end of the day, we're more, all going to have more than enough patients. But hopefully we can take advantage of some of that friendly competition to do what's best for patients. Yeah, certainly. I think that you guys are moving in the right direction. And what you guys are trying to do in terms of demonstrating that this is a viable model and not just a charity event is extremely important for long-term success and galvanizing a lot of the other stakeholders in medicine. I really appreciate your time. I know that you're very busy and having so many things to do before you have the official launch. I want to just leave you with one question. What constitutes success for this program? What are the tangible metrics, both clinically and financially, that you would determine to be successful short-term and long-term? Right. So the I'll give you two clinical metrics and one financial metric. The, the clinical metrics are patient experience. I'm a big believer that patient reported outcomes are we meeting patients' goals. If we could have patients on a one to 10 scale rank us as a nine or a 10 on average, that's victory for me. The second thing is housing rates. Uh, we do believe that, that providing good healthcare is gonna help patients get housed. So I wanna see two thirds, three quarters of our patients be successfully housed within the first year of them being a member in our program. Um, on the financial side, we wanna be able to uh, sustain ourselves and expand ourselves. So yeah. are we able to have, a, we're not trying to get a margin, we're not trying to make money, we're just trying to cover our costs. So if we're able to have a self-sustaining business model without charitable funding that allows us to grow, that's, that's success for me too. Yeah, no, I, I think that's amazing. In today's healthcare, you have to have that balanced approach. And I think what you guys are doing is the right approach. And we wish you all the best. So with that, we have Dr. Michael Holkman, CEO of Healthcare in Action. We look forward to wishing you all the success in the world. Thanks so much for your interest. Really appreciate the conversation. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.